0: My name is Shannon's brother. At least that's how it felt growing up. My brother was five years older than me, and we went to the same small school. Now, small school, we live here, and you think Guyman is a small school. There were 26 people in my graduating class. That's what I mean by small school. I started kindergarten with 22 of them. That's what I mean by small school. Uh, We had all the same teachers. And so every time I, I got to class, On the first day of school, it was not uncommon for the teachers to be calling roll and come to me. Stacy Ross. Oh, are you Shannon's brother? Uh, That was just kind of the story of my life in school. Living in a small town, that carried over into kind of all parts of my life. I I went for a job after I came back from basic training. I filled out an application. I turned it in. I got called back for an interview. I, I went in for the interview. The the manager of the store called me in. He looked up for my application and he said, so you're Shannon's brother. Then we moved out here and I thought, well, this is the end of it. Right. I mean, nobody out here even knows I have a brother, much less who he is. They've never met him. So nobody will be calling me Shannon's brother out here. And that went on for a while until I went pheasant hunting with Ronnie Green one day. And I went pheasant hunting with them, and he had some other guys that came up to go hunting, and he introduced me to them, and he said, this is our pastor, Stacy Ross. And I kid you not, the first words out of these guys' mouth was, wait, are you Shannon's brother? Turns out they had worked with my brother and knew that I had come up here. So the story of my life is being the the other brother. And today we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture that contains two brothers. And despite the fact there are two brothers, we typically only talk about the one. Today we're going to see that we can learn quite a bit from the other brother. So open your Bible to Luke 15, verse 25 is where we're starting. It's page 798 in the Pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Now, if you're not familiar, the story thus far is a dad has two sons. One son says, hey, dad, give me the part of my stuff that will come to me when you die. So the dad gives him the amount of money that he would receive as an inheritance. The kid went away to a far land and he wasted his living on wild lifestyle. When he came to the place where he was at rock bottom, he realized he needed to go home and ask his dad if he could just be a servant for his dad. When he comes home, his dad sees him walking down the road, runs to meet him. And not only accepts him back as a servant, but restores him back as a son. And begins to throw this great big party to celebrate the return of his son. That he, was, that he basically considered as dead, but is now alive. And then it picks up after that. Verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said this to him. Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Title of the message this morning is The Other Brother. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Father, we want to learn from you today. Father, you have given this story and this part of the story for a reason. It's not filler. It is meant to instruct us. It is meant to correct us. It is meant to teach us. So, Father, today let your Holy Spirit come and let him give us teachable hearts that we could learn. From the example of the other brother. Father, what we learn today may be challenging in certain ways. It may convict us in certain ways. And Lord, when that happens, our sinful nature wants to push back against it and, and to resist and reject what you're saying to us through your word. Don't let us do that today, Lord. Father, your word is living and active. It is meant to bring change into our lives, to equip us To be more like Jesus. Father, the things we're going to learn about today, they have to be purged from our lives before we can be who Jesus has saved us to be. Before we can live in the freedom Jesus came to provide. Father, let us come today with hearts as learners. Hearts that are submitted to you. Willing to do whatever it is that you want us to do. So that we can be more and more like Jesus. Father, send your Holy Spirit today to work in our hearts, to make them soft and good ground, that the seed of your word could sink deep in and bring the kind of change that needs to be. Give us ears that would hear, help us to lay aside distractions and to be focused. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Lord, move in our hearts, move in our lives. Give liberty during the time of response for us to come and to cry out to you for whatever we need. Let us do this knowing that you love us, that you care for us. And God, even if you're convicting us, you you only chastise those that you love. You only chastise those who are your children. So when we're convicted, let it not bring us down. Let it lift us up to know you're still working on us. That you love us and that you have better plans for us than what we're currently experiencing. Be glorified in all that happens from this point on. We ask this in the precious and powerful name. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, normally when we teach through the story of the prodigal son, we stop at verse 24. We may reference the other brother, but typically we don't look at what was said about him but when he comes on the scene in verse 25 he hears the party he wonders what's going on and when he finds out he's really angry rather than be glad that his brother had come home that his brother wasn't dead in the ditch somewhere he's angry and he pouts and he refuses to come in and his father comes out to talk to him to try to get him to come in and to join the celebration. And when you look at what the old, what the other brothers said, you learn that really he wasn't a happy person overall. The mindset that he had, it prevented him from being able to enjoy being his father's son. He never seemed to have enjoyed serving his father or working with and for his father. In his brother's mind, as we'll see, his life was one of bondage and not freedom. It was one of duty instead of joy. The reaction of the other brother is terrible, but I wonder, is it unique? Is it possible that we may have some of the same mindset and thought patterns that the other brother had? And that these, this mindset prevents us from being able to enjoy the freedom that comes from being the child of our Heavenly Father? I'm convinced it is. I'm convinced that there are many people who have a wrong mindset about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to serve their Father. And because of that, they are bound up. They have no joy. They have no freedom. They really don't enjoy being a child of their Heavenly Father because they don't even truly understand what that means. And the main point for us today is at the wrong mindset? it prevents me from experiencing the joy and the freedom of being my heavenly Father's child. Scripture has a lot to say about the kind of relationship that we're supposed to have with our Father. Romans talks about having a wonderful new relationship with him. We, we talked about this on Wednesday night, but I, I would ask you what I asked the folks on Wednesday night. If you were to describe your relationship with God, the Father, would you say it is a wonderful relationship? I mean, would you say that it is one where you experience joy and freedom? I'm convinced it's supposed to be. Our relationship with God is meant to be rich and full. It is meant to be one that provides joy and freedom into our lives. I mean, the psalmist And Psalm 16 says that in in His presence, there is the fullness of joy. There are pleasures forevermore. I mean, that's not a life of duty and drudgery. That's not a life of being bound up and in bondage. That that is a life of freedom and joy. And that's what we are supposed to have. And I don't think any of us would say, I'm just like the other brother. But what I want to do is... I'm going to ask some questions this morning based upon what we see from the other brother. I'm going to ask five questions to see if we have the same mindset that the other brother had. And then we're going to look at two actions that that must be taken to break that mindset out of our lives so that we can experience the joy and freedom that comes from being our Heavenly Father's child. So first, can I rejoice when others rejoice? Can I rejoice when others rejoice? It says in verse 28 that the the other brother was angry and he would not go in when he found out that his brother was home and his father was having a party for him. The other brother was not able to rejoice really in the the victory that his brother had experienced. His, His brother's return, it angered him. Can you imagine that? It angered him that his brother came home. It angered him that his brother had not died in a ditch as a drunk somewhere. It angered him to the point that he could not join with his father in celebrating the return of his brother. His mindset made it impossible for him to rejoice at the good news that his brother had come back and had come back to the family. If we have this mindset, we'll become jealous and angry at breakthroughs others might receive. But when we have this mindset, we never really feel that we're getting all that we deserved. When someone else is blessed or honored, it, it only points out our sense of lack. We, we feel that we have been had things taken from us because of the good that has happened to them. We are not able to rejoice with other people when they rejoice in anything that happens in their life. Now, consider or compare this to what Paul said. As a, as a body of believers, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if one member suffers, we're all to suffer with it. And if one member is honored, we're all to consider that an honor. And if one rejoices, we, we all rejoice. But right. we're to mourn with those who mourn. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, typically, it's not hard to mourn with those who are mourning. Because that doesn't threaten our sense of self-worth. But if we have the same mindset that the other brother had, we will not be able to rejoice when other people rejoice. We won't be able to rejoice when they're promoted on the job. We won't be able to rejoice if they're honored in some way. If they talk about a prayer that God has answered and and how, what a great blessing that was to their life, it won't bring joy to our life. Now, typically we'll put on a good face and we'll act, well, that's wonderful. Congratulations. That is awesome. But inwardly, inwardly we're fuming. The other brother simply acts out the way we feel on the inside. We are angry. We are jealous. And if we were to be brutally honest, we likely despise their blessings. And we resent them for what has happened that is good in their life. This mindset is wrong. And it prevents us from experiencing the joy and freedom being my heavenly father's child. The second question, do I enjoy serving? Look at what the the other brother says in verse 29. And he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. Now, the word for serving there, it means to be a slave or to be in bondage. The other brother, he really revealed his attitude about his time with the father in this statement. He used a word that meant to be a slave, to be in bondage to another. It carries with it the idea of of often serving out of duty instead of out of delight. The other brother had not enjoyed working with his father those years. Now, he had likely put on a good face. But it was a burden instead of a blessing. When we have the mindset of the other brother, it doesn't mean we don't do anything. We'll likely do all the things that we're supposed to do. That's what the other brother did. He served in all the ways he was supposed to serve. He, he did all the stuff he was supposed to do. But there was no joy in it. There was no pleasure in it. There was no freedom in it. When we have this mindset We will likely do all that we're supposed to do. We'll do what we're supposed to do in the church. We'll do what we're supposed to do on the job. We'll do what we're supposed to do at home. But our attitude, our attitude is one of you owe me for this. My life might be better if I didn't have to do this. We will constantly point out how dedicated we are. Look at all that I do for the church. Look at all that I do at the job. Look at all that I do for my family. Don't you all appreciate me? But compare that mindset with what Scripture says. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only use, do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve God. One, another. All of our service to God and to others is to be because we love them. We love God, and so we serve Him in whatever ways He wants us to serve Him. We serve Him in whatever ways that we can, not because we have to, because we love God and we want to bring glory and honor to His name. And we want to be pleasing to Him. We want Him. To be proud, I guess you could say. We love others and so we serve them. We do what we do at home because we love our family and we want what's best for them. When love isn't our motivation, all of our service becomes unenjoyable obligation. It's all a misery. We don't enjoy it. We, We probably, again... In my mind, I see the father being surprised at the older brother's statements. Probably the older brother had not griped to where the father could hear. He had done it inwardly. And when we have the other brother's mindset, that's the way we do. We probably won't gripe to our family too often that we that they don't appreciate us we we probably won't gripe at the church very often that we're not appreciated, but we think it we think it often we think it in our minds. I do so much more than everybody else does if everybody just did as much as i did why why don't why aren't other people involved why why aren't they involved why? Why doesn't anyone appreciate how much effort I put into this? Why doesn't anyone appreciate all the stuff that I do? And then if really, if that continues to build, we we tend to blow up and complain. And then we begin to blow up like the brother did and air all of the grievances that we have. I've done all of these things all of this time. Cannot believe you've never told me how much you appreciated me. You've never recognized all that I've done. This wrong mindset, it prevents us from experiencing the joy and freedom that comes from being our Heavenly Father's child. A third question we have to answer is, can I accept, can I experience acceptance outside of accomplishments? The other brother says in verse 29, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've been slaving for you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Look at all I've done. I, I did everything you wanted. Look how good I've been. I should be rewarded, Dad, for all the things that I've done. Didn't you ever notice all that I did for you? The other brother of mine said it leads us to believe that our acceptance, whether it's with parents or with teachers or spouses or friends or the church or even God. It's based upon our accomplishments. We believe that the harder we work, the the greater the approval we deserve and we should get. And I think at many times, if we're not careful, also what goes with this is we we can't accept other people who aren't doing what we're doing. I was thinking about... The story in Luke 10 of Mary and Martha, you know, Jesus, he comes to the house and and Mary sets at Jesus's feet while he teaches. But Martha was up and about doing all kinds of serving. And Jesus didn't acknowledge her. He didn't say good or bad. He just he let her go ahead. But eventually she had had all she could take of no one acknowledging what she had done. So what did she do? She said, Jesus. Do you think it's right that I do all the work while my sister just sits there listening to you talk? I think she had this mindset. She could not accept, could experience acceptance outside of what she had done. She expected that Jesus would gush over all of the work she had done. She had done so much. All her sister had done was was sit there and listen. Those with this mindset, they will work for Jesus, but they will not work from Jesus. And what that means is they will do what they're supposed to do for Jesus, but they don't do it because of Jesus. Does that make sense? You know, there is a difference between duty and devotion, isn't there? Duty is doing what you're supposed to do no matter what, whether you like them, you love them, you hate them. You do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Devotion is. It's doing it because you want to, because you care about the person that you're devoted to. Again, whether it's your family or your job, your church or your God. Those with this mindset, their service, it doesn't flow out of the fact that they love Jesus and Jesus loves them. It doesn't flow out of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And oh my goodness, someone who would take all of that on for my, my benefit and I'll just do anything for them. Not because I have to, but good grief. How could I not love and serve someone that has done all of that for me? If your acceptance before the Father is attached to what you do, you'll often feel bound by feelings that you have not gotten what you deserve. We see this in the older brother's mindset in verse 29. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with, my friends, and he's essentially saying, I, I've always done everything that you wanted me to do. And I did the what you wanted me to do, the way you wanted me to do, but you never rewarded me. You never said good job. You never gave me what I deserve for this. You just accepted it and went on. He expected that his father would reward him for what he had done. And when the father had not rewarded him, he felt unappreciated. And it was because he could not accept, he could not experience acceptance outside of what he had done. He was better than his brother, right? I mean, the brother abandoned the family and went and lived a wild life. He stayed home and ran the family business. Surely he deserved more than the prodigal did. Those who live with this mindset, they live feeling cheated. In their minds, whether they ever say it out loud or not, they never feel they've been appreciated enough for all the work they've done. Again, whether it's for their family, for the church, for their God, for their job. And this wrong mindset, it prevents us from experiencing joy and freedom that comes from being our Heavenly Father's child. Another question, a fourth question. Do I throw others under the bus? To prepare to toss his brother under the bus, the older brother begins to distance himself from him. Notice what he says. But as soon as this son of yours, not, not my brother, this son of yours, as soon as your son comes home, you do all of this for him. And I think there is a principle here that those with this mindset, they, they typically separate themselves from others when they begin to feel this way particularly from their brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm convinced that this mindset is common within the church of Jesus Christ today. That's why there are so many church splits. That's why when people get upset, they get up and they leave. They distance themselves from They toss the church under the bus. I mean, think about it. In what other area of life does the first time you get upset cause you to give up on it? I mean, do you give up on your marriage the first time you you fuss over something? Do you toss your kids out the first time they do something that you don't want them to, that they don't want, you don't want them to do? Do you quit your job the first day you have a bad day? I mean, in what area of life does one thing cause you to get up and toss the whole thing away and go somewhere else? No area. The only area where people do this is the church. And it is this mindset that causes it. It is this other brother mindset that says, I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm not being treated the way that I should. I'll go somewhere else where people will appreciate me. And that separation, it leads them to toss others under the bus. Look at what he goes on to say. And this is an interesting thing. But as soon as this son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots. Now. Let me ask you a question. Did the prodigal son spend his money on harlots? And before you answer, find me a Bible verse that says he did, other than the prodigal son making this accusation, or the, the other brother making this accusation. The reality is, Scripture never says outside of the brother the prod, that the prodigal son spent his money on On harlots. It said he wasted his money on riotous or wild living. But it never mentions particularly, specifically, that he went into harlots. And even if it did, even if it did, how would the other brother know? It's not like he went into town. It's not like the the prodigal went to the next town over even a couple of times. The Bible says he went into a far country. The prodigal wasn't posting on Facebook. He wasn't tweeting images of what he was doing. The other brother actually had no idea whatsoever. He had not even seen the other brother come in. He hadn't seen him come in ratty. He hadn't seen him fall down at the father's feet. When he he hadn't even seen him at all. The other brother the other prodigal son is in the party. He's out there by himself. With he has no idea what the prodigal son has done. But he is speaking authoritatively. He has fucked with prostitutes, Dad. He's wasted your money on that. And you're throwing a party for him. He was making assumptions about the sins the prodigal son had committed while he was away. Now, if I was a cynical person, I would say that the sins the prodigal... Or the other brother accused the prodigal of doing our sins. The other brother would have committed, given the opportunity. I would say if I were cynical, that the other brother thought to himself at times. If I were to take my money and leave. I'd go sleep with prostitutes. I would go do this. And then when the brother who did those things comes back, he says he did all of these things And it's not because he knows anything the brother has done. It's all flowing from his own heart about what he would have done in that situation. And it's in this time where speculative gossip is born. See, those with the other brother mindset, they assume they know facts about people they're angry with like this. The assumption causes them. To speak as though these assumptions were facts. But notice the the other brother, he doesn't say he probably spent your money on harlots. I bet he spent your money on harlots. He speaks as though this he knew for a fact it happened. He wasted your livelihood on harlots. He speaks with a level of authoritative knowledge. He simply does not possess And when we have this same mindset, we do that as well. Someone gets a promotion and we say, they just kiss up to the boss. Someone has anything nice that happens to them, we, we say, well, they probably cheated to get that to happen. If God answers a prayer, we say, I don't know why God would answer their prayer. Do you know what kind of things they do? All of this, it's not things that we know to be fact. It's what we're assuming they've done. We assume they've done these things. Possibly because that's what we would have done in their situation. We make all of these assumptions about them. But we speak it as though it were truth and fact. Which is a sin. It's gossip. It's a lie. Also, notice that when we have this mindset, we rarely speak to the person that we're dealing with. He doesn't call the brother out here and say, tell him you slept with prostitutes. He's talking to the dad. This is what he did. When we have this mindset, we, we rarely go to the person that we're Running down and say, you did this or you did that. We say, Scott, did you know what Red was doing? Red did this. Scott Bridge was doing it. Right? This is what they were doing. Now, I'm not going to go talk to them. I'm not ever going to address them. But I'll sure say over here authoritatively, this is what they did. Because I, I know. I mean, how could they not have? Have you ever heard that statement? In that situation, how could they have not done that? I mean, you know, that guy got promoted, but I've seen him stay late with his secretary. How could he have not had something inappropriate going on? Once I walked in and he closed his computer out really fast, he was looking at pornography. I know he was. It's all assumption. It's not real. We have no clue. We're just guessing. And really, it's guessing in our anger guessing in this evil and wrong mindset that keeps us from experiencing the joy and freedom of being our heavenly father's child. And then the final question is, can I see the good in my life? The father replies, son, in verse thirty one. You are always with me. All that I have is yours. I want you to notice that the father leads with the relationship, not the stuff. You're always with me. We're always together. Man, how great is that? He's missed out on being together with us all this time, but but you've always been here with me. On top of that, look at all the stuff. All, All of this is really yours. The father came and he listened to the older brother's rant. And what we find is that the, the other brother's eyes were clouded, causing him to see life as less than what was really there. The older son complained that he didn't get a goat to make merry when his friends. But in reality, he owned the entire farm. The other brother, he complained about not having one animal when the entire heard was his as the son and as the heir. he had the power and the authority to take a fatted calf at any time and invite his friends over and to make merry with them. It was all his and he could use it as he saw fit, but he he couldn't see all that he had all he could see was that one calf that he didn't have. He couldn't see the good in his life for the things that he felt were wrongs. The things that he felt were cheated from him. Those with this mindset, they can't see all that they've been blessed with. I think I would call this a poverty Mindset. See, a poverty mindset. Believes that there's not enough for everyone. God can't bless everyone. If God blesses you. It's a blessing that I didn't get. If God answers your prayer, it's because he wasn't answering my prayer. If someone compliments you, it's because they think badly of me. Anything good that happens to you, it takes away from who I am and what I have. There's there's not enough good to go around for everyone. Any success you have highlights that I'm a failure. There's just not enough. And everything you get and everything you do and everything that's good that comes your way. It just was something that was taken from me. Something that I should have been received. Why didn't I get that? Why aren't they saying nice things about me? Why is this not happening to me? (coughs) Christians with this poverty mindset, they never really see and understand their true inheritance as children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Christians with this mindset, they live spiritual poverty. And they've actually been adopted as children of the king. They quickly see what they don't have. and They really can't rejoice in what they already have. <clears throat> and this wrong mindset, it, it prevents us from experiencing the joy and freedom of being a father's child. I don't know about you. But I found all of that very challenging. When I started the message, I thought this will be good for other people. By the time it was over, God was dealing with me about my own other brother mindset and mentality. So how do we how do we break free of it? I mean, if we answer yes to these or no to these questions, what do we do? Do we suffer? Do we hope? What do we do? We do two things. First, we have to repent. (coughs) We have to repent. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin that results in a change of life. Those with the other brother mindset believe a lie. They believe the lie that prevents them from rejoicing when others rejoice. The lie they believe says there isn't enough good to go around. This means the promotion of another is a demotion for them. This means when God blesses one, he's ignoring them. Praise given to another is a personal shot at them. And these lies must be repented of. They believe a lie that says service is slavery. That means they can only serve so long as they're honored. They can only serve so long as others return the favor. That means they may do it, but they dread it. They cannot enjoy serving others because it puts them out every single time. These are lies that must be repented of. (coughs) They believe a lie that says acceptance is based upon accomplishment. It means the more that they do, the more God loves them. The more that God loves them, it means that He God loves them more than He loves others that they perceive don't do as much as they do. It also means that they always feel they deserve more than they're getting. God should bless them more. People should appreciate them more. They just deserve more. These are lies that must be repented of. They believe a lie that causes them to toss others under the bus. This means that every time someone compliments another around them, they think or say negative things about them. It means they make assumptions about the kind of sin the other person is involved in. It means they always have something negative to say about other people. And these are lies that must be repented of. They believe a lie that prevents them from seeing all the good in their lives. This means that for every good thing that you could point out in their lives, they can show you five things that are either bad or not enough. It means they're never able to rejoice in the blessings and the good that they have. And these are lies that must be repented of. Now, repentance is a a willing choice. You must be willing to have your mindset changed. And while that sounds simple enough, it's really not. Because as crazy as it sounds, there are lots of people who enjoy having the other brother mindset. They take great joy in finding fault in another. They take a sense of almost a a perverse peace. And pointing out all the faults and the bad in their own life. They enjoy putting other people in their place. And if you're not willing to repent and to change your mindset, you'll never experience the freedom and the joy that comes from being your heavenly father's child. An unwillingness to repent. It will leave you as you are forever and ever and ever. Those who are willing to change, they must choose to turn to God, confessing this mindset as sin. And I think it's important that you confess it as sin. It's not enough to say it's not right. It's not enough to say that it's not best. We have to say it's a sin because that's exactly what it is. Then we have to ask God to renew our minds and to change the way we think. And we have to do this over and over and over again. And I have to do it for me and you have to do it for you. If I don't choose to repent, then I'll never change and I'll stay just the way that I am forever. If you don't choose to repent, you'll never change and you'll stay just the way you are. And both of us will miss out on the joy and the freedom that comes from being a child of our heavenly father. We repent, but then we believe what God says about me. Interesting thing, Paul says you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear the word bondage that he uses is the same word the other brother used when he talked about serving his father. The poverty mindset that we just discussed is a form of bondage, and it's nothing that God intends for us to have. That bondage did not come from God. That bondage does not come from the spirit of God. The Spirit that God has given us, there. The Spirit that God has given us, it empowers us to cry out, Abba, Father. Right. Abba was a, an Aramaic term that meant papa or daddy. It was one of the first words that a child learned referring to his, his dad. And it was a term of respect and affection. And since the word implied such intimacy, the Jewish people never applied it to God as their father. Yet Jesus, when he prayed in the garden, he called God Abba, Father. Paul took this precedent and he applied it to all who were born again. This implies a tender, intimate relationship with our heavenly father. That's the relationship we're supposed to have. But like the father here, God would say to us, I'm always with you. A, a love-based, wonderful relationship that we have with Him. That, that is meant to be standard issue, a, a normative part of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. Is to have a, an intimate, warm, close, loving, wonderful relationship with our Heavenly Father. And while all this sounds great, how do we know? Well, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, when we come to Jesus, God pours the Holy Spirit within us, and the Holy Spirit then, He begins to work in us to make us understand who we are. That we don't have a spirit of bondage that makes us afraid God's not going to accept us. We don't have a spirit of bondage that makes us afraid we're not getting all that we deserve. We don't have a spirit of bondage that makes us afraid somebody's getting over on us. We have a spirit that says, God is your father. Embrace that. You are his child. You are a joint heir with Jesus. And when we have all of that, well, it allows us to confidently say about ourselves what God has said. God has said, I am blessed. I mean, think about this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you're a believer today, you're blessed far beyond what you understand. Far beyond probably what our finite minds can comprehend. We have every spiritual blessing that there is. I'm chosen. Just as He he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I mean, have you ever really considered that God chose you? I mean, if you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, that was not your idea. God in heaven looked down upon you. And God sent His Spirit to deal with you, to draw you to Jesus. He chose you specifically, individually, to come to Him and experience all that He had for you. The great and awesome God of the Bible chose you. Man, that's a wonderful thought. I'm accepted. Having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Now I just want to stop and say, what that basically means is that God, doing what He has done for us, brought Him great pleasure. It brought praise to the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Believer, you are accepted in the In the beloved today. By grace. Not by your achievements. Not by your works. Not by your goodness. Not by your family lineage. Not by how many times you came to church or how generous you are. You are accepted in Christ because of the grace of Almighty God. You did not earn that acceptance. You did not deserve that acceptance. But God in His infinite goodness chose to make you accepted. Just because He's good. That doesn't change. I'm loved. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And one of the great things to get a hold of is that everything God does, he does because he loves us. I mean, do you do you understand that? There is no force outside of God that could have made him do anything for us. God is the highest authority there is. There is nothing or no one that could have made Jesus come except for the love of God. There is nothing or no one that could have made Jesus hang on the cross except for the love of God. There's nothing or no one that could have made God accept us, forgive us, give us new life in his spirit except for his... There is nothing that could make God do anything for us at all. Except for his love. I mean, we are unconditionally loved. By a great and an awesome God. But we're also forgiven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In Romans, Paul would say there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And your sins are forgiven. They're gone. They're taken away. they are no more. It talks about in Colossians about the. The handwriting against us has been erased. Scripture talks about things like being tossed into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. God remembers them no more. I mean you don't have to live in shame over what you've done in the past. You don't have to live defeated and downcast because maybe the life you live was kind of like the prodigal. You're forgiven. It's all gone. Never to be brought back up by God Almighty. I'm significant. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The God of heaven plans good things for you and I to do significant things, eternally significant things, things that can make the world a better place and change someone's eternal destiny. There is no such thing as an insignificant believer in Jesus Christ. God has planned us. God has prepared us. God has equipped us. God has gifted us to do things that are eternally significant. And this is all of us. Now, here's what's great about this. We looked at this is all from one book. Well, in fact, it's just two chapters of one book. If we were to look all throughout the Bible... We would find so much more that God says that we are because of what Jesus has done. Because of who Jesus has made us. And what you have to do is you have to believe it. You have to embrace it. And when I say believe it, man, I'm not saying believe it like, yeah, it's in the Bible. I'm not even saying believe it like, yeah, the Bible says it's what must be true. I mean, believe it about yourself. Listen, there's nothing arrogant about saying I'm significant because God has planned good things for me to do. That's just what the Bible says. There's nothing arrogant about saying I'm forgiven. I'm accepted in the beloved. I am blessed. Because biblically speaking, those things are all true. Believe it in a way that it means you and it impacts who you are and how you are. That it impacts everything about the way you think, the way you live and the way you act. Believe it in a way that keeps you from embracing the other brother's mindset. Because if we don't believe what God says about who we are, we'll believe something about who we are. And by and large, that leads us to be like the other brother. Don't let the enemy or anyone else convince you that you are anything less than what God says that you are. Don't let anyone or anything keep you from believing what Scripture says about who you are in Christ. Do not embrace a mindset that will keep you from experiencing the joy and the freedom that comes from being a child of your heavenly father. Because our relationship with God, I really believe, it is meant to be the best part of our lives. David said, and I mentioned it earlier, in his presence there is the fullness of joy and there are pleasures forevermore. That's just God. I mean, that's, that's not church. That's not reading your Bible. That's God in his presence. Fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. Is there anything else that you know of that offers that? Is there anything else that we can do or be or act on? Is it going to give us the fullness of joy? Is it going to give us pleasures forevermore? Meaning not just in this life, but in the life to come. Even just in this life. Let's just think about this. Is there anything we can do that brings us pleasure today? That's going to bring us pleasure in 50 years? That is going to be exactly the same. We're going to love it exactly the same, if not more, in this life. I mean, how many of us now, we, we look at things that we liked 15 years ago, and we think, man, that's dull and boring. Certainly wasn't pleasures forevermore, was it? God's the same yesterday and today and forever. The pleasures He gives us, they will last all throughout this life and into eternity. If you look at verse 32... The father says it was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now, his response is amazing. So, I want you to think as a parent, how would you have responded if one of your kids had gone off into the world and came back and you were rejoicing, and one of the other kids was like, and acted like the other brother did? I'm not coming in. I'm not celebrating. What, what would you do? I and mean, how would you respond? Kinda of think I would be like, Don't. Bye, I'm gonna go have fun. You're not even welcome anymore. But God said but the, the Father here, he gives a very loving and a kind response. What I'm doing is the right thing. This is how we should respond. And the ending implies to me the other brother's still welcome. Your response now is bad. But you can come in still. You're welcome. Just party your part. You're my son too. What we learn from this is that even if we have the same mindset as the other brother. We're still invited to the party. If we repent and if we believe. We get to experience the joy and the freedom. That comes from being our heavenly father's child. Scripture doesn't tell us how the other brother responded. But a bigger question is how, how are you going to respond today? Let's stand as our musicians come.